Hi, this is Liz Ryan, and this is the Work-Related Podcast, episode 15. Today I'm going to talk about how to answer the worst, trickiest, and most obnoxious interview questions, and I'm going to talk about why these questions are so unfortunate and how to do an interview better, how to ask better questions, and just how to have a better interview conversation from the standpoint of the interviewer. So this podcast is for both people going on job interviews and people who are interviewing candidates and how to make, it's all about how to make the next, uh, the uh, interviewing process better and smarter and more effective and more human. That's our deal. Our company is called Human Workplace. And so our mission is to reinvent work for people. And this podcast is a part of that. So thanks for listening. So I'm going to focus on five awful traditional, uh, outdated and annoying interview questions, but very, very common questions. Every one of these questions you can expect to be asked at a job interview. The first one is what's your greatest weakness? We're actually going to tackle that question last in our list. The second question I'm going to talk about is the question, where do you see yourself in five years? Why is it always five years? Who knows? But that's the question. The third one is, there are so many talented candidates, why should we hire you? That's another chestnut that you're likely to be asked at a job interview. The fourth one is, why do you want to work here? Why do you want this job? And the final question that we're actually going to tackle first is, what would your last boss say about you? Or what would your former boss say about you? So let's start with that question. And I'm gonna tell you how to answer the question or give you a recommended answer or a way to think about that question. And then when I'm finished giving those recommendations on how to answer these five tricky uh, and uh, obnoxious interview questions, then I'll talk about each question and why it's really so unfortunate and should not be on anybody's interview script. Okay, let's start with this question. What would your last boss say about you? Well, what are they looking for? You have to assume the interviewer here is coming from a place of fear, right? Fear of hiring the wrong person is a very big deal in the recruiting process. It's it's one of the biggest factors in who gets hired because they're afraid of hiring the wrong person. What happens? If someone is tagged with having been part of the decision to hire an employee who doesn't work out or who's difficult or high maintenance or who quits right away or whatever, it's bad for them. It's bad for the people involved in that decision. And by the way, that's one of the reasons so often interview processes are so long and drawn out and you have to meet as a job candidate, you have to meet with so many different people. It's because they're trying to share the blame around if something goes wrong. Sad but true. Interviewing used to be so much faster. When I was a young HR person, bing, bang, boom, you're hired. First interview, second interview. Could be the first one at 9.30 and the second one at 10 o'clock. They just walk you into their boss's office and say, hey, boss, I'd love for you to meet Cynthia or Charlie or whatever, you have that second meeting, they maybe check references and they get you an offer and that's it. And it was fast and now it's slow. And part of the reason is people are afraid to make decisions like that on their own. 
So they want a committee. They want a lot of people to meet you so they can say, well, it wasn't just me. A whole bunch of people met Cynthia or Charlie. So how do you answer this question? What would your last boss say about you? Um, you're going to say, here's what my last boss would say. They would say that I supported the team and I had a lot of good ideas and that they, I was someone they could really depend on or some variation of that, right? The details might be different. My boss would say that, you know, I um, had a good handle on what was happening in the business and I was someone who really knew the processes and would help out my coworkers if they needed it and basically was somebody who was good to have in the organization. Very simple, not too much detail. You don't have to tell a whole story. If there is a story, if there's a story from your life, from your career that is relevant, by all means, tell the story. You know, oh, well, it's interesting you ask, what would my last boss say about me? Because my boss was sorry to see me leave the company where we worked together, but it just wasn't a great fit for me anymore. Or I was moving to a different location or whatever. And they said, you know, if you ever need my help as a reference or in any other way, let me know. So you can say that. Or if you, it wasn't a great job and it wasn't a great boss and you left in part or entirely because of the boss, you can still say, well, my boss, you know, was very well aware and told me and other people that I was somebody who, you know, could be relied on to get their work done and, and was always trying to think of better ways to do things. We're going to talk after we get through our list of tricky and annoying interview questions. We're going to talk about why each of these questions is just a really bad question. And I think you can see why this question uh, is horrible. But we'll get to that in a moment. We'll keep you waiting. Okay, the next question we're going to talk about is why do you want to work here? Why do you want to work here? The way that I recommend you answer this question I don't want you to say what you may be thinking about saying. Certainly what I would be thinking about saying if it were me sitting there in the interview is why do I want to work here? Why do you want to hire me? I mean, you invited me here, so it's not clear at all that I want to work here. I mean, I am just trying to find out more about the job. It's a little presumptuous of you to ask me, why do I want to work here? I don't know if I want to work here, but this is your chance to sell me. I'm asking, why did you invite me in? What was it about my resume or my LinkedIn that attracted you? That's at least as relevant, right? I apply for a lot of different jobs, right? But you invited me for this specific job, so curious to know what that, what that appeal was related to. However, I don't want you to say that. Could be a really short interview or just a really unpleasant one. So what you're going to say is, well, you know, I, I'll tell you what got me here. I'll tell you what got me here. That retains your dignity, and that's really important. It's not clear that you want the job, but you did come to the interview, so I'll tell you what got me to come to the interview or what got me to apply for the job, and it was this. I've been doing whatever, administrative work or digital marketing, and I like the fact that you mentioned X, Y, or Z in the job ad, or maybe it wasn't in the job ad. I read about you, and I saw that you're chairman does a blog or your head of marketing did a podcast i like this i like that find one specific thing before every interview one thing that you will have ready to talk about 
not just if they ask, why do you want the job or why do you want to work here? But it would be good to mention this one thing, even if they don't ask the question. You say, well, I, I, I read your blog. I got actually subscribed to your client newsletter just to hear a little bit more about what you do. Um, and, and it was helpful. You know, if you're going to take the time to interview, that's your personal time. You're not getting paid for it. Go ahead and subscribe to their newsletter. Learn what you can. Go on their website, poke around if there's a blog, check out the blog or the podcast, you know what I mean? Google the company name, what's their reputation. Of course, you're going to look at Glassdoor and Indeed and see what kinds of reviews they have. Ask your friends. You wouldn't do this before applying for a job, but you would do it before interviewing because your time is really valuable and you deserve to work for people who are going to respect you and treat you like the professional that you are. So, you know, you might as well do the due diligence. And then if they should ask you, why do you want to work here? You'll be ready with an answer. You'll be able to say, well, I was reading through your press releases on the site and I saw that you released this one product that I personally, as a devotee of this stuff, I'm interested. I think it's, I think it's the perfect thing. I'm really interested to hear more, right? They're looking in this case to see that you're interested in the same stuff they're interested in. It's not a great question, the way it's formulated. Why do you want to work here? Obviously, it's kind of forward. It's kind of, <laughs> you never said you want to work there, but, you know, maybe their heart is in the right place. And um, we're going to start with that presumption and come from the idea that they're trying to do the right thing and surround themselves in the company with people who are interested in the same things they are interested in. So the way to answer that question, why do you want to work here, is just to mention one specific thing that appeals to you, either in the job ad or elsewhere in their online presence, in their site, in their LinkedIn company page, perhaps, right, in, in um, their newsletter, whatever it is, right? Okay. Next question. There are so many talented candidates. Why should we hire you? Mm. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Not a great question, but you still have to answer the question. You cannot say to them, yeah, Liz Ryan says this is a dumb question. They'll say, yeah, well, you're the one sitting here at the interview, not her. So you have to have an answer to that question. Why should we hire you? Here's what I recommend to my clients, and this works really, really well. It gets them past this question into more substantive topics like what are you trying to do uh, around this function? What are, your, what are you trying to do as a company? How does this position play into those goals, right? That's what you want to know. What will I be doing all day? What will I be doing at 9 o'clock and 10.30 in the morning and 2 o'clock in the afternoon? And what will I learn on this job? And what will I have the opportunity to contribute on this job? And who will my internal and external customers and vendors be? And who will I be collaborating with? This is what you want to know. You don't want to go there and do a dog and pony show. Well, I'm smart and I'm thrifty and I'm capable and I walk old ladies across the street, right? Why should we hire you? Ugh. But you got to have an answer to the question. And so here's what I recommend to my clients and our uh, human workplace coaches recommend it as well. And this works really well. And here's the technique. You say, why should you hire me? How about if I tell you what I've heard 
in this interview so far and what I've gleaned about this job. And you can tell me if I'm in the ballpark, if I'm anywhere, you know, anywhere near the, the right answer as you see it. Does that sound okay? They're going to say, yeah, that sounds great. And so you say, okay, here's what I heard. The job is a marketing analyst. And what I heard is that you're growing and you have some new distribution arrangements. You've got distributors uh, and, and affiliate organizations uh, representing you and distributing your product, um, sort of kind of a two-tier thing. And, um, and you need a marketing person to support those folks, um, those, those people who are part of your sales engine but not employed by your company, and that this is a job all about making them feel supported and well-informed educated about the product, excited about it, excited about bringing your message out there and to really feel like they've got guidance in the sales process, in the marketing process, and with all of the reporting and everything they need. And so that's me in this job. If I end up in this job, I'd be the person supporting those people and using my knowledge of of databases and analytics and also really hands-on customer support uh, and attention to make sure they can be successful. Did I get that right? So the way you're going to answer the question, why should we hire you, is you're going to say, let me tell you what I heard that you're looking for, and you'll tell me if I got it right. Because that takes the topic far away from your personal attributes you do not want to be out there listing, well, I have four years of experience in this and I have a degree and I'm smart and I work hard. That's beneath you, beneath them, beneath all of us. You don't want to do that. And by the way, it will not help you at all to do that because you'll just be praising yourself in a really gross way that doesn't feel good and also will not make any impression on them because that's what every candidate is going to do. Rather, you're going to say, well, tell me if I got this right. Here's what I heard. What does it say? It says you're awake, you're aware, you're listening, you're attending, you're processing, you're analyzing the information you've been taking in ever since you got the invitation to come for this interview or before. And you see the pain, you see the problem, and you understand it, and you understand how to solve that problem. That is the most impactful thing you could say in an interview other than telling a story about solving the exact same kind of pain in another setting, in another job. So that's my recommendation for answering the question, why should we hire you? Okay. All right. We got two more tricky and obnoxious interview questions to tackle. And the next one is, where do you see yourself in five years where do you see yourself in five years? This question could have made sense in 1976 or 1985, but it doesn't make sense now. No company's going to hire you, commit to hiring you for five years or frankly, five minutes. In the United States, we have employment at will. You could be gone. They're not committing to anything. So this idea that somehow it's just virtuous and appropriate and necessary to have a five-year plan is uh, pretty clueless considering we just got through a three-year period, we're not even through it, uh, COVID, where all plans went out the window, basically. Pretty much all plans went out the window. If that's not a lesson about their nature of life on Earth, I don't know what is, but you're not going to say that. 
So what you're going to say when they ask about your five-year plan is, well, let me tell you what I'm drawn to. Things can change. Five years is a long time, and pretty much none of us would have predicted five years ago that we would have been through what we have been through in these last five years. But let me tell you what I'm drawn to, and these are the things I expect to focus on as we go forward, three years, five years, whatever that horizon is. I'm interested in learning more about X, whatever, stochastic reasoning. I don't know, right? Um, conflict management methodologies, whatever you're interested in. Find something that intersects your interests and this job. Something that has to do with this job, right? At a high level, right? A philosophical level. Well, I'm interested in, I am drawn to the use of customer interviews in the marketing process and understanding customer needs at a, at a very intimate level. Or I am interested in some really cool dynamic pricing models that I've seen. Or I'm interested in um, working with groups. Group coaching is a very big passion of mine. Find something that you're legitimately interested in that also intersects with the job and say, that's the kind of thing I'm drawn to. How that manifests over five years and, and, and what that looks like, I'm not sure, but I am a very big believer in following your heart and your mind and gut. And so this is the stuff that really speaks to me, especially as we sit here today. And you could say, if you feel comfortable, you could say, what about you? What are you interested in? All right, got one more question to tackle. The best or the worst depends on your perspective. That's the famous question, what's your greatest weakness? What is your greatest weakness? There are a couple of ways to answer this question. And you can pick one or the other, or you can combine them. The first way to answer the weakness question is to say, you know what, I used to really stress about my weaknesses. I, I read books and I did courses and I, I really tried to correct what I thought were my deficiencies. And, and over time, I realized I need to be focusing on getting better at what I love to do and therefore do well. And that's where I can make my contribution in the world rather than by you know, improving by 1% or 2% the things that I'm not meant to be doing. In my case, that might be graphic design. That might be sports commentary. <laughs> it could be anything. I'm not the person to do that, but, but, but luckily as I learn more and more about myself, I get closer to where I can really plug in and make a difference. And in my case, that's going to be financial analysis, for instance, right? So you're going to use the details that are accurate for you. So that's one way to answer the weakness question is to say, oh, you know, I used to think, why do you go into that? I used to think, but then I learned because you're trying not to say, why on earth would you ask me about my weaknesses? What in God's name does that have to do with my ability to do this job? Um, so we want to be really polite and inclusive and honor them for, you know, it's not a great question, but. Um, we want, we don't want to begin with a negative, you know, like that is not a good question. 
So you say, oh, you know, I understand that impulse to think about weaknesses because I was there. You're inviting them to slip around and be on your side of the table, or you are slipping around this round table and, and I'm in my mind, right, virtual table, and you're going to be on their side of it, and you're going to say, yep, yep, I get that because I used to stress about weaknesses, but now I don't. That's one way to answer the question, what's your greatest weakness? The other way, without groveling, without rolling over and showing your soft underbelly or being the submissive dog, the other way to answer the question, what's your greatest weakness, is to say, you know, I, the things that have been weaknesses or have shown up for me as weaknesses oftentimes have morphed into strengths. Because I think when you're curious about something and you feel like it, 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 it is with you, it's a topic that sticks out or makes its presence known, and therefore you want to investigate it, those have tended to be the things that I really dug into and got interested in. Like, I was very conscious of the fact um, over the years that I didn't know a thing about, uh, you know, employment law. I didn't know anything about employment law. It wasn't super relevant to my job, but I thought, oh, this is, you know, it, it could be something to look into, something to find out about. Or I didn't know anything about green building, or I didn't know anything about whatever. And at times I felt like I really wish I did know more about that. And so I just followed that curiosity and I learned a lot. And it is highly relevant to my work now. So I'm curious about things that 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 you know jump up for me and one way that topics do rise up to a level of a high priority for me is that i feel like oh i i i'm remiss i'm defective it has nothing to do with that but it has to do with a topic you know sort of rising to the surface and i'm always grateful when that happens because it allows me to investigate that topic more deeply i don't have to become a subject matter expert, but the more that I can educate myself about myself and other people in the world around me, I feel it's the better. What do you think? It's a really good thing to become comfortable ending an answer to an interview question that someone asks you with a question, just like, what are your thoughts? I'd love to know how you see it. Because the more that you can turn the interview into a normal conversation, the better. This is going to work way better, typically, with your hiring manager, your prospective boss, than it is with a screener. Because they've got a list of questions often, and they just want to get through their list. And they don't want to have a, a real conversation, because it's not their job to do that. But, but I would love it if you would just try, just experiment with this idea of finishing your answer and then saying, so what, what's your take? What do you think about that? Especially with anyone who is not the screener, the person who's making that initial in or out decision, go, no go. And, and the other thing I always like to say about job interviews is really nothing bad can happen. Only the people who get you, who resonate at your frequency, deserve you anyway. So you can't fail. You can't fail a job interview. They don't want to interview anymore. God bless, right? God bless. That's called redirection. You are being redirected to something better. Disappointing in the moment, of course, but you don't have time or energy to convince anybody to like you or approve of you. All right. So now let's just quickly 
rip these questions to shreds. I want to tell you why these questions are the absolute worst. And it's an embarrassment for me as an HR person that these questions are still so widespread. That being said, if you are an HR or recruiting talent acquisition person and you're asking these questions, I would love to encourage you to just be open to thinking about maybe interviewing differently. And I'm going to try to explain why, uh, why I would love you to do that right now. The first question, what would your last boss say about you? Horrible question. Why? There's nothing special about bosses. There's nothing special about managers that they are equipped or entitled or authorized to have an opinion about someone that is more authoritative or more accurate or valid than the opinion that the employee is telling you, their own, their own observations about the work they've done and what they like to do and what they're good at. So I hope that you can see it's very insulting to say to an adult sitting in front of you, what would some other person that I've never met and I never will meet, what do they say about you? It's like, wow, um, why don't you ask me what I've done? Ask me about my accomplishments. Ask me what I learned. Ask me where I struggled maybe. But you're asked, my boss could, you know, be a, a horrible person. My boss could be in prison right now. Not that, not that people in prison necessarily deserve to be there. But you understand what I'm saying. Why is my boss that you've never met the authority on me? You got me in the flesh. Talk to me. It's a terrible question. It's as though we're saying that the International Federation of Bosses is the formal ruling body. And it's not that way. We know the number one reason people quit their job is their boss, their toxic, awful boss. Uh, we're going to hold out sympathy for those toxic bosses too, because there's a, you're, you're crushed under the machinery and your personality gets squeezed out, right? Toxic bosses are made, not born. Dysfunction is made in not, not, it's not organic. It's not something that naturally and inevitably arises when humans go to work. I'm singing that song all the time. Workplaces can be healthy and amazing and great, great things can happen at work. There's nothing that says that it's inevitable that, that, that a workplace should be ugly or dark or, or create bad energy and that bosses just have to be bad. I don't like the fact that too often we dismiss institutional and, and structural problems with, oh, I just had a jerk boss. No, you didn't just have a jerk boss. We have a system that makes normal people into jerk bosses. And when you tag your boss as the, as the problem, it was just that person's a jerk, you're really turning a blind eye to the institutional, you know, the structural systemic problems that make work often as difficult as it is. And you got to see the rigging, right? You got to see the, the rigging backstage. That's the whole point. That's why I do these podcasts. It would be quite a coincidence if, you know, you went to school as a little kid and there were a couple kids that were a little bit fearful, I'm sure, and they became bullies or whatever. But then somehow you get out in the world and half, at least half of the bosses are awful. That's not a coincidence. They're not awful in the rest of their lives. They're not awful to their friends and family. They just succumb to fear at work because there's so much fear at work and so much pressure. But yeah, so let's stop asking the question, what would your last boss or any boss say about you? It's shockingly rude. I don't, you know, it's because we grew up in the system. 
we forget that the human rules are you don't ask a person you're meeting for the first time or or person you've met any number of times what somebody else thinks about them someone who's not in the room like that person is the one whose opinion counts it's just absurd so let's not ask that question anymore it doesn't matter the answer doesn't matter ask them what they've done that's similar to the job they're going to be doing and ask them about their observations on the role and the challenges in the role after you explain the role to them that's what an interview is. Here's what we need someone to do, Peter, Grace. Here's here's what here's what I'm looking for someone to do. I just please jump in at any point with thoughts and questions because I'm just going to talk about what we're doing here in the company and then what this job is, and then you explain. So anyway, we have this call center and we need la la la. Here's what it is. It's not you're not you're not in doing the interview to plumb the depths of someone's soul. You're saying here's what we're looking for someone to do, and most of our 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 the what's messed up about interviews and the interviewing framework that we're talking about today is because we're coming out of this industrial revolution idea that when you work for a company that they're really accepting you into this brotherhood sisterhood thing, and it's very special. But that's not how work is anymore. We've just seen two hundred thousand people get laid off in the last year in in the tech industry for no reason whatsoever just to make a balance sheet look better so it's not if they used to ask in the early 20th century and even into the mid 20th century they would ask you on an interview what church do you go to and you had to give the right answer to get the job we want to get so far away from that world that paternalistic you know you have to be one of us and i'm approving of you morally and socially and what no right we have to shake off, shake all that toxic lemonade out of our veins. It's a job. It's a professional engagement, right? We have long-term relationships with vendors. We never ask them these, these prying personal questions because somehow in our society, very little discussion or fanfare, we put self-employed people and, and business owners on a much higher plane than employees, if you think about it. And the interview process really makes that clear. If you're applying to work here, boy, you better be willing to, to you know, beg for the job. Why? Your vendors don't beg to be your vendors. They deliver their service professionally, competently, and that's it. That's really all we expect of them and all we should expect. And it should be the same exact thing with employees. All right, so the question, why do you want to work here? I mentioned this already. I couldn't resist mentioning it earlier when we talked about how to answer this question. Why would you ask why they want to work here they haven't said they want to work here they came to an interview it's like going on a date and saying well so why do you want to be my long-term partner um i am certainly not sure that i want that i'd never met you before two minutes ago what a bizarre question it's exactly the same in an interview they never said they want to work for you now you have an opportunity to talk them into working for you because really an interview is a sales opportunity for the employer I always saw it that way, and thank God I did, because I was able to staff an amazing company, two amazing companies, and then help uh, other business owners and business leaders do the same thing. It's a sales job, recruiting. And I'm not talking about some kind of flim-flam, fast-talking, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. I'm talking about being really, really open and honest about what's good in the company, what's hard, what's getting better, you know, what's going on, what it's going to be like to work there, 
listening to the candidate, asking them what's important to them, making it easy and comfortable for them to ask questions at any point in the interview, not at the end. Why would you do that to someone, an adult? You have to wait till the end. What? Who would do that? What happens with every bit of roughness and raspiness and, and, and friction in the interview process is that you drive the best candidates away. And by best, I mean the candidates with the most other choices. Why would you want to do that? You don't want to do that. You want to sell, you want to do whatever you need to do. I could not have done my job in tech, HR and recruiting if I wasn't willing to go to the ends of the earth. To go to the ends of the earth, it's fun. It's the thrill of the chase, right? To talk to a person and have them say, can I have dinner with you and bring my my spouse? Because we both have questions and my spouse knows more about some of this stuff like health insurance and company benefits than I do. And then I say, yeah, where do you want to meet? Of course I'll do that. Of course I'll fly across country and meet you in an airport lounge and not leave the airport and go home. Yes, I will do that. That's my job. I like doing stuff like that because that's how we build a great company. Recruiting is incredibly important to any organization. It's the only sustainable competitive advantage you have, if you think about it, is recruiting plus the culture. And of course, they're completely intertwined. You can't do effective recruiting without a great culture. And you can't have a great culture without doing recruiting really well. Those are the only things you can sustain. You can't sustain a financial advantage. You can't sustain a technical advantage without people. So the people side of work is the most important side of work. But it gets short shrift. All right. So you're not going to ask, why do you want to work here? You could say, you know, was there something particular that interested you in in the job, but then you definitely want to say to that candidate, can I just tell you, your LinkedIn profile is outstanding. Or, you know, I I um, saw your resume and I have so many questions. You have such an incredible background. Of course you have to read the resume before you meet the person. If you do not read the resume before you meet the person, honestly, you gotta do, you gotta make a big change. That's fundamental. That's the best way to turn off a candidate. You didn't read my resume. I, I, I came to the interview. I'm donating my time and you haven't even glanced at my resume. That's wow. Forget about business rules and go to human rules and just pretend this is not a business situation because it's not, or like it doesn't make any difference. If it is just be a human being and say, who would want to talk to you when you have had their resume for two weeks and you never looked at it. It's like shockingly impolite. And that's, you're, you're a good person. So you want to bring your goodness to this role and you want to read that resume and develop questions about it and jot them in the margins or make a note of them so you can ask the candidate. That is acknowledging them for sending in that resume and for doing all those great things that are described on the resume. Okay, the five-year plan. Why is that a terrible question? That, that's, that question is from outer space. I mean, in this day and age, First of all, five years is way too long of a planning horizon. Look at look what how the world's been disrupted by COVID-19. So 
it's absurd to expect someone to have a, a five-year plan, but also it's not like having a plan is this, is this noble thing. Lots and lots and lots of people, brilliant, amazing people do not have a career plan and don't want to have a career plan. And it's fine. That's their choice. They might have a life plan that is none of your business, none of my business. I have a life plan and my career has to fit into my life. Yeah, that's the relationship. That's the logical relationship. My career has to fit into my life. So for me to have a career plan says that my career is like, that's it. That's, that's the driving force. No, my life is the driving force. My needs and wants, my relationships, my health, come on. But to, to make that, this, this vaunted thing, I'm going to have a five-year plan. What? Why? Really? Why? I have a business. I don't have a five-year plan. I, I have some vision and some ideas and things we're working on. But let's just tell the truth about the fact five-year plans are, what's so great about them? And even if a person has a five-year plan, once again, why is it any of an interviewer's business? It's, you know, what are we talking about? Is this therapy? Are we talking about dating? If we're not talking about dating and it isn't therapy, why on earth would you feel entitled to know my five-year plan? Think about it. Why on earth? And it's so rude too because jobs can disappear. I just told you 200,000 people got laid off. It's like, what's your five-year plan? I, I have no idea that if I'm going to be employed here in five years or one year. How would you? Why would you ask me that? It doesn't distinguish between better candidates and worse candidates. So it shouldn't be part of the interview conversation. And finally, we got to talk about this question. What's your greatest weakness? Wow. It's the worst question. A, the belief, much less the conviction that people just walk around with weaknesses, meaning things they should do better than they do, is a belief like a religious belief because it's not science. There's no evidence that says people walk around with weaknesses. So that's a choice. That's a belief. And you have no place to foist your beliefs on other people, especially in this situation where you're deciding who's going to work in a department. Now, it's really good when companies ask all these questions because it tells you a lot about them and how they think. These are old school, 1950s, early 60s questions. These are the old school questions. I got into HR in 1984, you guys. I've never asked a candidate any of these questions. I'd never, I, my mouth doesn't work that way. I'm not doing that. That's not my brand. These are not good questions, but the weakness question is the worst of all because it says, I believe people have weaknesses. Therefore you should believe it too. I believe you have weaknesses and I believe you should tell me what they are. I believe I have the right to know that that gets back to that paternalistic view that employers basically own the people who work for them, that it's appropriate to know every single thing about a person from a position of unequal power. You must tell me that's fear-based management at its finest. I don't believe people have weaknesses. I believe every little baby comes here from wherever they come from, whatever space and, or plane, completely and perfectly equipped to do their work here on earth. I believe that about you and me and everyone who's ever been born. I don't believe we have weaknesses, things that we should do better than we do. Why? There are millions of things we don't do well. I don't play golf. I can't change the oil in my car. So what? They're not weaknesses. What would make it a weakness? 
It's something I don't do. Let's talk about the things I do do. We're going to change our whole outlook on recruiting. What we're going to do is lay out what the job is and say, hey, I invite your questions. I'm, I'm really eager to tell you more and to answer your questions and to understand, you know, what you've done before that's similar or different and, you know, just brainstorm about this role and how it all works and how, how you might fit into this or even if it's something you're interested in. So I'd love to answer all of your questions about work and leadership and HR and entrepreneurism and, and the workplace and job hunting and all these things, how to pick your, your, your best career move and all of this complicated and stuff, fizzy stuff about the workplace. And the way to reach me with your question is to write to us at support at humanworkplace.com. And I'll be happy to answer your question in a future podcast. So thanks for spreading the word about the work-related podcast. Thanks for following me on LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook. It's really, really great to communicate with you and to have you in our human workplace community. And I should mention that I'm training people right now to become career coaches and work with me and the community of human workplace coaches, about 20 people right now. Very, very cool that we have this, this group of coaches working together to help people succeed in their careers and get more out of their work and their lives. And so if you're interested in becoming a career coach with my help and starting your own career coaching business or growing your existing coaching business, please get in touch at support at humanworkplace.com and have an outstanding, outstanding day.